welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I am here tonight with Amber, Stacy, and Natalia. And we are going to war, both World War I and World War II, because we've talked about World War II in the past, but never World War I. And that just seems wrong. So we have all kinds of fabulous books to discuss, but before we do that, I have the usual housekeeping information for you. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So Stacy will start us off, followed by Amber, then me, and then, of course, Natalia. So Stacy. Stacy, whenever you are ready for your first book. I've been waiting to talk about this book since it came out in June. And in fact, I talked about it. I want to say it might have been May Picks. No, it was June Picks. Just kidding. June. Um, June Picks. And I've been waiting for this book ever since, um, I think, like the end of 2019 when I saw that it was coming out. And this, my friends, is The Black Swan of Paris by Karen Robards. And this book was absolutely everything that I could have hoped for in a historical fiction World War II novel. Um, I I really think that she sort of um, far surpassed her already stellar writing style for this book. So this book is about Genevieve. And Genevieve is a singer in Paris in 1944. And Genevieve is living this very dangerous life because, you know, on one hand, she is sort of the darling of the Nazis. um, And on the other, she is quietly and insidiously working for the French resistance. So um, she lives a very dangerous life. And what I didn't know, uh, side note, what I did not know about Paris during World War II was that if you were some sort of person in the arts, like a singer or an artist or musician, you lived very well in Nazi-occupied Paris during World War II and did not have to, you still got regular coffee and you you ate regularly. So Genevieve is living this lifestyle of relative luxury and um, she has the freedom to sort of travel about in a way much more um, freely than the average French citizen would. So Genevieve sings and does concerts and then, um, you know, kind of carries messages about and does all the things that she should do. 
And she is working with um, her manager, whose name is Max, and he's a very shadowy, mysterious figure um, who's done some sort of shady dealings in the past, but is her manager and is the one who um, sort of arranges any sort of messages that need to be delivered and things like that for the French resistance. Now, Jean-Fievre is sort of living her life when a series of events kind of shake her from the relative routine that she's fallen into during the war. And one of the things that happens is she discovers that her estranged mother has been um, taken by the Nazis and the French resistance um, wants her captured and then if necessary killed so that she cannot share information that she has. So Jean-Vierre decides she's going to go off with her sister and she is going to her estranged sister and she is going to rescue her mother before she is killed by either the Nazis or the French resistance. And this book is, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's a very uh, dynamic depiction of what it was like to be in Paris in 1944. And um, just, you know, just all the things that the French citizens have to do to sort of survive in this time. Um, it's also a love story between um, Genevieve and someone. And it's about family and, you know, sisters and relationships and it's about how a young woman figures out how to survive in horrific circumstances and there's some intrigue and sort of spy stuff and I'm not doing this book justice at all but I will just tell you um it's worth it's worth reading um it's it's sort of it's probably one of my top three favorite World War II novels I love it so this again is The Black Swan of Paris by Karen Robards I really want to read this. You need to. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, good, because it's completely not what I ever saw Karen Robart's writing. No. Uh-huh. No, it's life. a whole different... It's, it's like she took her writing and all the best things that she ever wrote, like in the late 90s, and right, right. multiplied it by like a thousand, and it's just a completely much more intense, raw... Um, emotional writing style than I have read from her in a while. It's really powerful. It's such yeah. a powerful, powerful novel. Okay. My first book of the night is A Duty to the Dead, Bess Crawford, number one, by Charles Todd. And this actually takes place in World War One, And we are, we meet Bess Crawford, who is a nurse in World War I Britain. Uh, well, she goes, you know, overseas, obviously, but Bess is not like other women, you know, who become nurses. She actually grew up in India. Um, her father was serving in India. He was, you know, in the army. And so she grew up in India. So she kind of has a view of the world that other nurses don't have. And when she is traveling on a ship, she meets Arthur, and he is gravely wounded, and she notices that he's really restless and, you know, not really at ease, and before he dies, he asks her to deliver a message to his house in Kent, in England, and before she can get to England, Bess herself is wounded. 
so it's several months before she actually, you know, shows up to Kent and delivers this message, you know, that he wrote down to his brother and his mother. And when she gets there, they're not terribly impressed. Um, you know, they don't really, um, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, she, she thinks it's really weird. They're not, you know, like devastated. They're not really upset. Um, you know, they just kind of, in a way, they kind of blow her off. Um, and before, <clears throat> before she leaves the house, something terrible happens. And Bess has to basically solve the mystery, you know, of what happened to Arthur, um, you know, what's kind of going on in his home and how it kind of connects to the war and, you know, what basically is going on. And what I really like about Charles Todd's books is that in this series, the Bess Crawford series, and she writes another series that's just after World War One. it's the Ian Rutledge series, um, war is actually like a character in her books, or I'm sorry, in his books. And it's, you know, it's really interesting how that happens, especially in mystery stories. I've read a lot of World War One mysteries, um, and the war actually becomes a character in, in these books. Um, and this is the start to a really good series. It you know, it's, um, it's really amazing. So again, that is A Duty to the Dead, Bess Crawford, number one, by Charles Todd. This has been on my list for a long time. Yeah, they're very good. Very, very good. You'd like them a lot. So my first pick tonight is probably one of my most anticipated books of 2020. This is The Orphan Collector by Ellen Marie Wiseman. And several years ago, she wrote one of my very favorite books, which is called The Life She Was Given, which is about a circus. So I've always really loved her stuff, and I was so excited for this one. And it lived up to all of my expectations, like in so many ways. So... The Orphan Collector takes place in 1918, and so the war is still going on, and lots of people are, have left the United States and are, are fighting in the war. And so we follow this 13-year-old girl named Pia, and Pia lives with her mother and her infant twin brothers in Philadelphia. And Pia's father is off fighting in the war, so it's just... Um, her and her mom and her brothers and they are not looked upon very favor favorably because they're German and so her mother really wants to kind of like hide the fact that she's German as much as possible she tries really hard not to speak German um, anymore she doesn't let Pia speak German and so they don't have much in the way of a support system while her father is gone and then the great influenza pandemic sweeps through Philadelphia and suddenly people are being asked to stay in their houses. And if you go out, you have to wear a mask. Hmm. It's rather reminiscent of, of something we're living currently. And things get really bad in Philadelphia really fast. And right near the beginning of the book, Pia's mom dies of the flu. 
And so she is left alone with just her twin brothers and she does not know how to cope. When they are almost out of food, she makes a decision to leave her brothers in the apartment unattended and go out into the city to try to find food. Meanwhile, there is a woman who lives not too far away and she happens to be watching out the window when Pia leaves. And she's kind of struck by this and she wonders like why someone is leaving and like what's happening you know, to the baby. She doesn't know where the mother is. And so she, for reasons that I won't disclose to you, goes out into the streets, goes into the apartment and finds the babies. And she takes them for herself. And this starts her down a path that is really, really horrible. And she becomes, quite literally, a collector of orphans. And she does pretty much anything she has to to take orphans. Sometimes they're not even actual orphans. She just sort of decides that they are. And she takes them from their homes. She takes them from the streets, pretty much wherever she can. And sometimes she sells them to rich families. Sometimes she deposits them in orphanages. It just sort of depends. But she just does terrible things for like most of the book. And Pia is, of course, devastated to learn that, you know, her brothers are gone. She herself contracts the flu. She's hospitalized for many days. When she comes back, her brothers are gone. She has no idea where they are. And so she is determined to be reunited with them. But of course, she is a 13-year-old girl now alone in the city, and she herself ends up in an orphanage. And I'm not going to tell you anymore. Um, There's a lot more that I could say about this, but it is truly a remarkably deep and emotional novel. Um, If you don't want to hear some very unfavorable things about immigrants, um, I wouldn't recommend reading this. There is quite a bit of racism in the novel, mostly coming from our kind of antagonist character, Um, but it can be very distressing to read. Um, It feels, you know, very in line with the times as far as like how people viewed, especially Germans, Um, but it's still, you know, pretty difficult to to stomach in kind of our current, um, with our current like mindset. So this once again, is The Orphan Collector by Ellen Marie Wiseman. And I loved it so much. It made me cry a lot. It's very hard to get through. Yes. Probably the hardest book to get through of all the books that are talked about in this episode that I've actually read. Um, I don't know if it's because I just had a baby, but I can't imagine like coming back and finding my baby gone. Uh, it's, it's just... Yeah. Um, very hard and and I agree I think it is it can be kind of triggering for the political or I guess the generational arena that we're in now it's very in line with like the 1918 uh, I guess idea and also I think it really hit me hard because we're in a pandemic right now it's true and I could just can't imagine adding war to the pandemic I mean it's you know 
uh, yeah, it's not. bad enough as it is. So, um, but it's a, it's a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable novel. It's funny because I, well, not funny, but I, I saw this book I, like upcoming on Audible and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to tell Shannon about something she hasn't seen before. Too late. She already, <laughs> she already knew about it for like a long time. And yeah, she's like, you can never what tell am I Shannon most anticip- something. I know, yeah. but I was hoping like one time I could like catch her like off guard because no. I'd never heard of this author. So I thought, well, oh, it, maybe it kept know. being pushed back because of Corona. So I was expecting it in the spring and I was going to do it as like one of the, like I think April February, right? Or uh, was it March? Yeah. And then it kept moving. So I, I know. It was so actually, sad. I never actually talked about it, but I was just sort of like watching it like in the background. <laughs> well, I felt kind of deflated like a balloon, but it's on my TBR is the whole point, And I'm very excited yes. about it, but I know it's going to be a challenging read. So I think you have to be in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to talk about World War II today. Well, first, anyway. And the first book I'm going to talk about is by Pam Jenoff. I'm pronouncing her name right. Jeez. And the cool thing about Pam Jenoff is that she has so many historical novels. And I have enjoyed every single one I have read. I haven't finished them all. I'm kind of working on it. But I have enjoyed all of them. And so it was very hard to pick. And then I saw this book very recently. I saw the summary of it and I was intrigued. And so I picked it up, I think Sunday or Monday and I finished it. And oh my goodness, I enjoyed it so very much. So this is called The Commandant, The Commandant's Girl or The Commandant, like they say, Girl by Pam Jenoff. And this book is about Emma Gershwin. Her name is now Emma Bauer because she's been married only a few months to Jacob. And they are both Jewish, except that she is from different backgrounds. He's wealthy Jewish and she is more like, um, what would we say? Like middle class, maybe? Like working father, class? Working class, yeah. Her father owns a bakery and um, she's only 19. They've been married for a very short time, just, you know, moved in together. They're very happy. But slowly but surely, the Nazi regime is invading Poland. They're both Polish. And Jacob has been very adamant about uh, fighting for the cause and resisting the Nazi regime. So he goes underground and he leaves her imprisoned within the city's ghetto. But then in the dead of night, someone comes and picks her up and gets her out of there. Um, you know, and it's someone from the resistance who has a message for her that's from him that she has to live with her aunt, his aunt, Krisha, and disguise herself as a Catholic genteel. So she takes a new identity. Her name now is Anna Liposka. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And she is a nice young girl who was a school teacher and is now living with her aunt because she lost her parents. Uh, They made up some kind of story about her parents dying. And meanwhile, Jacob is underground in the resistance. She has no idea where he is or what he's doing. And then this gets even juicier. Not only is she pretending to be Catholic and having to go to church every Sunday and like, you know, doing things like, for instance, getting on her knees to pray, which is forbidden for the Jewish people. That's, you know, one of the many things she had to do. And uh, among other things, 
uh, her aunt or her aunt-in-law has a dinner party and she invites the, co the chief commandant, Mr. Ridgewater. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And he takes a liking to Emma, also known as Anna, and hires her to be his assistant. And so the resistance learns about this and decides that Anna could be very helpful in her place by smuggling things and giving them information about what's going on in the Nazi regime and how it can help them, I guess, resist or work towards overthrowing them. And so this book is told mainly from Emma's point of view or all from Emma's point of view. And we see her struggles and how hard it is to live a double life. I know I was so scared with and for her when I was reading a lot of parts of this book and just all the things that you have to sacrifice and all the things, you know, I guess it talks more mostly about all the things that we hold dear that have no, they are not dear in a war. You have to do whatever you can to survive. So I won't say any more because I don't want to ruin it, but this is the commandant's girl by Pam Genoff. And it, there's actually a sequel that I'm really looking forward to reading. The diplomat's wife, I think. Yes, the diplomat's was. I have to say, I love her titles. So yeah, I read a Pam Genoff, and it was. I'm still getting over it, so I haven't picked up anything else. But her writing is very immersive. I feel. Yes. I feel like, and um, this is actually on my TBR. I remember talking to Shannon about it a few months ago. Um, yeah, when I was like phenomenal. lost in historical fiction, so it's it's on my list. I just. After the one I read that had a very intense ending, I had to take a little break. <laughs> the second book I'm going to talk about is called Girls on the Line by Amy K. Runyon. Runyon? Runyon? I'm so sorry. Um, regardless of if I'm pronouncing her name right, the book is amazing. And this book takes place um, during World War I. <laughs> and it focuses on our heroine, um, whose name is Ruby. And Ruby lives in Philadelphia and is part of a very affluent family where um, the mother is basically a social climber and wants Ruby to marry well so that she can get into the old society of Philadelphia because they are um, new money and nothing is more important to Ruby's mother than being part of the in crowd. And so Ruby has always been a very dutiful daughter, if not always overjoyed with her, you know, following her mother's wishes. She does, and she's engaged to a very upstanding, proper young man from the right family. And then the U.S. joins World War I. And you find out very early in the book that Ruby's brother, Francis was killed overseas, um, one of the very first of the American troops to, um, to die. He was in that regiment. And this sort of lights a fire for Ruby, and she can't handle any more of sitting around and knitting socks and acting very proper as if nothing really has changed. She works for, um, after much uh, sort of cajoling of her parents, she's been uh, 18 months prior to the war, she started working for the uh, Pennsylvania Bell um, phone company 
as an operator and just loves feeling needed and valuable. And as the war is beginning to sort of ramp up in 1918, she is invited to um, be one of the women that goes overseas to France to be an operator on the front lines. And Ruby goes against everything that her parents wish for her and, you know, joins the, the service and um, goes to training and then goes to, to France to be an operator um, on the front lines. And this book was amazing. Um, you know, I don't read as many books about World War I. At least for me, I feel like right now, so many books focus on World War II, at least I guess what I'm reading. Um, and it was really interesting to go a little further back in time to, to this war and kind of see the response of, you know, the people in France and um, how soldiers were treated and, and how women were treated at this time at the beginning of the 20th century when a lot of people were not taking seriously the fact that, you know, women could be a valuable part of the war effort um, you know, the, the more, um, the older generations viewed women as, you know, so valuable and what they were doing at home by rolling bandages and knitting socks was the only way that they could contribute to the war effort unless they were nurses. So this book is how Ruby goes and grows as a person while overseas, um, and kind of develops a found family among the women that she works with. And, uh, she meets a medic and, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful book that I love a lot. And it just, it kind of talks about something that I never thought about much is, you know, that was the first time when sort of more advanced technology, I mean, for the time, of course, was available to assist with communication during a war. Um, and this book was just a really wonderful read. And again, it is Girls on the Line by Amy K. Runyon. And I don't know. I just, it, it's pretty perfect, actually. <laughs> Everyone should read it. Um, and I discovered this book by accident because I had read her Daughters of the Night Sky mm -hmm. um, prior. I have that one too. Yeah. And have you read that one yet? Or no, just, I haven't, no, I haven't read oh. it yet, but it was, looks super good. It's amazing. And she taught me about, you know, the, the Night Witches for World War yeah. II. And I never knew anything. Yeah. And so yeah. what I love is that I feel like her books educate you about something that women do that is very not spoken of much now and sort of feels a little lost to history in a way. So, um, I don't know. I love her writing. So my second book I read uh, a couple of years ago and I read it because I, I, when I was a teenager, Schindler's list, the movie had just come out. Um, oh, and yes. I watched, I watched that movie probably like 20 times. Um, and this book is actually Schindler's List by Thomas Keneally, and it is a nonfiction account of Oskar Schindler. Um, so Oskar Schindler was a, um, he lived in Poland and he was an industrialist and he had a factory that was very near Auschwitz and he basically used labor um from the concentration camp um you know kind of kind of knowing kind of knowing but not wanting to know 
you know, why they were there. And, and, you know, he was not a naive man, but, you know, he, he basically, um, he, you know, got all these people in his factory. He was making loads of money, um, you know, and, and then he, he started thinking about what was actually going on. And in the end, and I'm not giving anything away just because like, I think a lot of people know the story. Um, he actually did a lot of bribing and he did a lot of, um, you know, a lot of um, other things. And he saved a whole bunch of, you know, the Jewish people from Auschwitz and basically said, you know, to German officials and to Polish officials, hey, these people are really valuable to the war effort. You can't kill them. Um, and, you know, it was just about the maneuvering that he did throughout the war to keep these, I think there were like 150 people safe. Um, and, you know, how he, he rescued a whole bunch of people and, you know, what kind of happened to him and what happened to them at the end of the war. And it's, you know, in a way it kind of highlights like the denial that, you know, the Germans and the Poles and stuff were in. Um, I mean, you in a way you have to be, I think, in a lot of denial to even, you know, just to even think that something like this isn't happening or, you know, kind of sweep it under the rug a little bit. So again, that's Schindler's List and it's by Oscar, or I'm sorry, it's uh, by Thomas Keneally. I read a commercial audio version of this when it, like when the movie first came out, um, my grandma bought it for me as an audiobook, and I remember being really interested in it then and being kind of sad that all I had was the abridged copy. So I'm going to yeah. have to go back and... And I mean, it's kind of, it is it is a history. So, I mean, some of it's kind of dry, um, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. But it is, it, it is really good. It's definitely I've really never good. seen Schindler's List. I'm very embarrassed to admit that. Um, it's very was, depressing, but I mean, but it's a very powerful, yeah, it's a very powerful movie. And, and I think it's more powerful even in the, like the cinematography and stuff like that, because all of it's done in black and white, oh. except there's one scene that's done in color for a very specific reason. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really good, good movie, good book. Um, I saw it with my grandma in the theater. And I feel like there was a lot of things that she had to narrate. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's um, in German. All right. I'm going to stay on the World War II train here. And I'm going to talk about Mr. Churchill's Secretary by Susan Elia McNeil. And this is the first book in a series that she's written about a woman named Maggie Hope. And so Maggie Hope is a young woman who was born in England, but was raised mostly near Boston and doesn't actually return to England until 1939 when her grandmother passes away and she kind of goes back to put her affairs in order to sell this old Victorian house that she has. And then her plan is, of course, to come back to the United States. But while she is in London, there starts to be, of course, all this political unrest, and she doesn't end up leaving. 
So now when our story opens, it's 1940 and Winston Churchill has just become the prime minister. And he is, you know, kind of one of those people that either you love him or you don't. Um, it's not, there's not many people who are like, oh, Churchill, and eh, like, I don't really care. So he's a very polarizing force. And he is determined that Britain will defeat Germany in the war, no matter what they have to sacrifice to do it. So Maggie, who is very intelligent, very ambitious, not at all pleased with her kind of prescribed lot in life. She doesn't want to just be a typist. She wants to be a code breaker. Um, she wants to actually do research and to feel useful in more than just kind of menial, like unskilled ways. And so she ends up working as a typist for Winston Churchill and eventually through kind of her own um, ingenuity and skill kind of moves up in the ranks and begins to do a lot more specialized work. However, one of Churchill's secretaries has gone missing and is eventually found murdered, and Maggie is wondering why. Like, was it just a mugging gone wrong, or was there something more, like something very political about this? And could it kind of be traced back to people who are trying to infiltrate um, number 10 at Downing Street in order to kind of report back to the Nazis about what Churchill is planning. So this kind of reminds me a little bit of the first Macy Dobbs book by Jacqueline Winspear in the sense that, you know, you're, you're getting to know the main character who's going to carry you through the series. You're getting to know the side characters. And you're also becoming really familiar with the time and the political climate. I feel like Maggie relies less on intuition than does Macy Dobbs. So if you are um, a little bit kind of disenchanted with people saying like, oh, I don't know how I knew that such and such happened. I just had a feeling. Um, maybe the Maggie Hope books will work well for you. Um, I really, really enjoyed this one and I definitely plan to continue on in the series. So this is Mr. Churchill's Secretary, a Maggie Hope Mystery Book One by Susan Elia McNeil. These are definitely on my radar. I yeah, I think you'd like them. So my next book takes place in a different country. So the first one was Poland. And this one takes place in Italy. And because I'm very interested personally in reading about war and war in different places because you know we call it world war one or two and i just feel like as an american i kind of got educated about the wars from an american point of view and standpoint and it's so true. as an adult yeah so as an adult i feel very cool about reading about war in different places, even if it's fictional accounts. You know, I imagine that these authors do some sort of research, right? We would hope. Um, we would hope. Somebody would be talking about them in a blog, especially now. <laughs> well, and what you're about to talk about, um, I know she did a lot of research for because there's a lovely author's note at the end yes. um, where she talks about it. She sure does. Took the words out of my mouth. Shannon and I, we are connected. <laughs> so this book is called 
from Sand and Ash by Amy Harmon. And Love I this. think this, this is probably the first historical fiction book I read by her. I don't know if it's the first she did, but it's definitely it the first I read after I had you know, read all of the Law of Moses books and the different blue. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, she wrote about World War II. Let's do this. So this is Italy, 1943. And this is a point in time when Germany has taken over much of the country. So um, Jewish people are in a lot of danger. Um, Some would say grave danger. And this book is really about Eva Rosselli and... Angelo Bianco. They were raised like family, even though they're not related. And for reasons I will not get into, to not spoil the book, they were separated. I can tell you that one of the reasons is religion. One of them was Jewish and one of them was Catholic. And even though in this time and age, you will see um, people of those religions together. I personally know a Jewish woman married to a Catholic man for what, like 37 years, I think they last year. Um, but at that time that was almost mostly unheard of. So that was one of the things that divided them. And another thing was circumstances. One of the circumstances was that Angelo, even though he had very deep feelings for Eva, he felt the calling of the church and he decided to be a priest and as we know, priests do not marry or have romantic relationships based on the Catholic religion. But as the years go by, they meet again. Um, and I think it's about 10 years later, they haven't seen each other. Um, and Angelo was working at a church. Um, and he is hiding uh, Jewish people from the Gestapo, I think that's how you say it, yes, uh, in a convent. And it turns out that Eva, certain things happen to her and she is desperate. She has nowhere to turn and she finds this convent. And it turns out that she's one of many Jews that are being held and hidden from the Nazi regime by the Catholic Church. But um, she, Eva, is just not the kind of person to quietly hide and, and you know, live meekly and let people that she loves and cares about, including Angelo, risks themselves. So this book is about them. It's about war. It's about friendship. It's about how you can reach trial after trial and agonizing thing, choice and choice, you know, fate and fortune and all the things you're willing to do to protect the people they love, people that you love rather. So this is from San and Ash by Amy Harmon. And, uh, it's incredible. The prologue is very, it sweeps you up because you yes. want to know how they got there, what happened. Uh, so I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And for those who like romance, you know, you'll, you'll like the star-crossed concept of it. I did. I like star-crossed. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> yes. It's so good. I love Amy Harmon. And for some reason, I keep not reading this one, so what? um you haven't read this. Oh no, no, I it. and I've talked to Shannon a couple times about it, and I vacillated because um, I, you know, I was a little worried about the like taboo, um, like romance with a priest, like how I would feel about that. Not that, well, at least she's a woman. Oh, sorry. So I, I haven't read it um, because I, I wasn't sure if I can handle that kind of conflict 
in addition just to the conflict of World War II and, and all of that. But I've heard such good things. I think I'm going to have to pick it up. I feel like it adds sort of that extra layer of, like, not conflict necessarily, but, like, it really highlights the role that the church played in the war, both Mm -hmm. in positive and less positive ways. Uh Right. Um, Like, I think it it does what it sets out to do and kind of shows another, Mm -hmm. like, less well-known aspect of the war. Of history. Well, Natalia, it's interesting that you just talked about this book because my final book that I'm going to talk about um, is also sort of uh, has something to do with the Catholic Church as well um, in World War II. And I just realized as I was doing this episode that all three of my books are set uh, in some part in France. So I'm sorry, friends. <laughs> like, I do know that <laughs> World Wars one and two were fought on other soil besides French soil. But um, for whatever reason, the three books that I chose all end up in France. And my You're third book... You're a Francophile. I am. <laughs> so my third book tonight is called The Book of Lost Names by Kristen Hermel. And this book just came out very recently. And I've been very excited about this book for a long time as well. This book is about... Ava Trobe. And Ava, at the beginning of this book, is an 86-year-old librarian. Um, I believe it's in 2005. And she is straightening up some books on a cart and some magazines and things. And she looks down at the newspaper and sees an article about a book that was discovered in Germany um, that was believed to have been sort of, you know, stolen um, during World War II by the Nazi party and relocated to Germany. And Ava is living in Florida at the time. And she is just shocked because the last time she saw this book was when she was writing in it during World War II. And it's a 18th century uh, religious tome um, that was in a Catholic church in a small town. But, okay, now I'm going to go back. So Ava knows what this book is. And then, so it's interesting because this is sort of like a dual timeline in the sense that we go back earlier in Ava's life, but, but she is the main character throughout. So back in 1942, Ava is a graduate student uh, studying in Paris, living with her parents. She is Jewish, born and raised in Paris, but her parents immigrated to France from Poland prior to her birth. And her father is a respected typewriter, typewriter repair man. And his, his services are sought after all over the city. Um, and her parents just cannot believe, even in Nazi-occupied Paris, that any harm will come to them because they have been living in France for so long. And things very quickly spiral out of control. And so her father is a typewriter repairman and, you know, Ava is studying um, English and literature, but also her other passion is that she is a beautiful artist. She's very, very skilled. And, you know, so that's sort of like her, her sort of side passion. Well, in 1942, her father is taken in the middle of the night. And um, for reasons I won't disclose, um, Ava and her mother were not taken with him, and he is detained. And 
Ava is able to forge, beautifully forged papers for her and her mother, and they are able to escape to the free zone of France, to this small town. But all Ava can think about once she has uh, seen her mother safely there is returning to Paris to rescue her father. And that's when she discovers, when she's back in Paris, that he has been um, taken to a concentration camp. So Ava returns to the small town and begins working with the resistance um, in the form of a priest at a Catholic church. Um, she has been brought to their attention because of her beautiful, beautiful renderings of different things, including papers that someone figured out were forged. And so Ava begins forging documents for Jewish children who are escaping over the border into Switzerland so that they can begin having, you know, a, a safe life during the war. And they have new identities, but Ava doesn't want their um, Jewish identities to be lost forever. So she and Remy, a very charming, charming young man, begin working together in this secret library in this church to forge or to, to create a code whereby they can keep um, records of all of the names of the children that they are rescuing. So hopefully after the war, they can be re reunited with any parents that survive. And so this is, this is Ava's story. This is how she learns to grow as a person. Um, she puts herself in significant danger multiple times in order to help the children um, and to keep herself and her mother safe. Um, and this story is about Ava at 86, who finally, finally, after living her full life, has decided to come forward and share you know, the meaning of the Book of Lost Names when she discovers it in a library in Germany. And this was an amazing book, um, and I really encourage everyone to read it. Um, I, you know, it just kind of a different slant on things. I, I hadn't really read any World War II books about forgers who were forging papers, so it was very interesting to read about that. So this, again, is the Book of Lost Names by Kristen Harmel. So my last book is one that I know Shannon is looking forward to, and it is called The Care and Management of Lies. Yes. By, yes, by Jacqueline Winspear. And I was actually introduced to Jacqueline Winspear because I read a lot of the Macy Dobbs books. I have not gotten caught up on that series, but they're great. Um, but The Care and Management of Lies is World War One, and you meet Thea, Tom, and Cassia. And Thea and Tom are brother and sister, and they live on a big farm in Kent. And Thea and Cassia go to school together. And That's so Cass rhymey. It is. And <laughs> Cassia meets Tom, and they fall in love, and they get married. And Thea is not particularly happy about this, not because she doesn't like Cassia, not because she doesn't like Tom, but... Um, you know, she's just, uh, she kind of thinks Cassia threw herself away on Tom. Thea is a suffragette and she is also against World War One. And what a lot of people don't talk about in World War One is when England went to war in World War One, there were a lot of people against the war. Um, and they actually used to go around protesting in like London and, you know, other places in England. And they were extremely unpopular, as, you know, sometimes they are today, but they were extremely unpopular then. They got arrested a lot. Um, and they, you know, 
World War One was actually quite divisive in England, and um, you know you had the suffragette movement going on at the same time. You had a lot of people against the war, um, and you know a lot of them got arrested. And so Thea is actually part of this group who, you know, she. Uh, she is passing out pamphlets in a park about how people shouldn't go to war. And these pamphlets actually show really ghastly images of the boys, you know, in, in war and basically what's happening to them. And, you know, the English home office and stuff, they want to keep that kind of suppressed because otherwise boys won't go over there. And she gets a, a police officer sees her and she thinks she's about ready to get arrested. And so she signs up to be an ambulance girl in France. In the meantime, Tom, her brother, also goes over to, uh, to France in the army. And Cassia is on the farm. Um, and this book is about, you know, how they all grow up during this time. Um, you know, when the, when the war started, a lot of people thought it would be over by Christmas. And, you know, so they just signed up in droves, like no one wanted to be left behind. And then they just went over and they just all got slaughtered. Um, and, you know, so Cassia especially is very naive um, when it comes to the war. She thinks everything's going to be great. You know, Tom's going to come home. He's going to be a hero. Um, and, you know, it, it's about how they all grow up and, you know, how things are managed in England and also in France. There's letters going between them, um, you know, and just how you dilute yourself when you're going into really scary situations that you don't understand and how those blinders are kind of ripped off your eyes when you actually figure out like what is going on. And the thing I like about Jacqueline Winspear is she doesn't, you know, she doesn't make war out to be something, you know, romantic or, or, you know, anything like that. She's very, she can be very graphic in her description of war. She's never really shied away from that. And um, I appreciate that because, you know, war is a terrible thing. I'm not going to say, you know, if it's necessary or not, but it's a terrible thing. And what we ask a lot of veterans to do is really hard and scary and she doesn't shy away from that which I really appreciate so again that's the care and management of lies and it's by Jacqueline Winspear Yay. Yay. so my last pick tonight is part of a sweeping historical saga um, if I didn't talk about this tonight I would have to be very afraid to go home because my partner would be very angry with me. So this is Fall of Giants, Hooray. the Century Trilogy, book one, by Ken Follett. And the Century Trilogy is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It looks at the entire 20th century. And it does this from the perspective of five families from five countries um, who are you know, kind of like the, the most powerful countries of North America and Europe. So you spend time in the United States, in France, in Germany, 
and England and Russia. And so these are sort of the, the giants of the early 20th century and hence the book being called The Fall of Giants. So this book takes a really deep look at World War I, all the things that led up to it, all of the things that kind of contributed to it, and also kind of what Amber was talking about in the sense that like there were all these other movements that were kind of bound up in World War I, um, like the suffragist movement and the whole, the whole idea that like the poor and working class should be entitled to like work in humane conditions. You saw a lot of the like labor rights going on. Um, and so you see kind of how the war was of course a huge part of that time, but even as people were fighting the war, there were still people left at home doing these kind of, um, like in the background, they were still kind of fighting for their causes along with hoping that whatever side they happened to be on would be victorious. So we follow these five families and some of them are difficult to like. Some of them, you know, you see on kind of the opposing side, a side that perhaps you as a reader, you don't want to sort of get inside the minds of people who think in some of these like less um, desirable ways. But Follett does a phenomenal job of not necessarily like justifying why people think the way they do, but showing us that there are people in the world who do think differently and that some of these people are not monstrous. You know, some of them do terrible things, but you see sort of what leads to that. And I feel like his writing is so powerful because of that, because everyone in his book, in his books, I should say, is fully fleshed out. No one is just like a black and white, good or bad character. And I really enjoy the humanity that he brings to everyone that he writes about, even if at the end of it all, you decide that like you don't like this person. You're not just saying like, oh, this is a German person and I hate them. You're saying, you know, this person did all these terrible things. And even though I understand like what made them do these things, I can still, you know, form my own opinions about them. And he's just a really excellent writer. And I love the the depth that he takes as he looks at all of these families and what brings them together and tears them apart. So this is Fall of Giants. It's the Century Trilogy, book one by Ken Follett. These are very, very long. Um, I read the first one and I think it's like 37 hours in audio. Um, so they're, they're big books, but well worth your time. I haven't read these, but I've read the first one in the Kingsbridge series. Oh, Kingsbridge. And those are good. Those are good and really long, too. I feel like all yes. of these books are like doorstops. So I can't wait to read this. It's been on my, it's been on my to be read list forever. And when you read the second Kingsbridge book, okay. the plague will be there. I know. I know. I started reading the second one, but it was, I was not in a space to read it. So I will maybe try again. Yes. Yes, the plague. 
So the last book I'm going to talk about is the first novel I've read by this author. And this book takes place in England. More specifically, 1940 England. I forget who it was that mentioned something about England that I wanted to reference when I talked about my book. Um, hopefully, it comes back to my brain. But this book is called If I Were You by Lynn Austin. It is more than... It's not so much a dual timeline novel as in we um, go from after to before. I guess maybe that is a dual timeline novel, but it's like 10 years. It's not, you know, what we're used to, you know, 40 years back. And um, this book is about sisterhood, self-discovery. And we begin the book in 1950. So this is post-war England. And Audrey leaves her manor house in England with her young son to America. She's a widow. Um, you know, she has American in-laws. And at the beginning of the story, we don't know why or how how this happened, but she needs their support uh, more than ever, and she's never met them. But she arrives to find that her longtime best friend from childhood, Eve Dawson, has been impersonating her for the past four years. And so unraveling this deception kind of makes them relive their history that they have as friends and what led them to this point and how this happened. And so we go back to 1940 England. Um, you know, Eve and Audrey are very, very different, even though they are best friends. Um, Eve's mother is a lady's maid for Audrey's mother. And of course, as young women, those differences um, become polarizing forces eventually uh, because, you know, the class system was very, very, a very big deal back then until the Nazi regime reunites them. So since London was facing relentless bombardment, Audrey and Eve joined the fight as ambulance drivers. And I thought this was really interesting to me because it never occurred to me to think about ambulances during a war or that people drove them. I don't know how I imagined that people got to hospitals. I don't know if I thought they got to hospitals on horse carriages or if they just had medics and field. It just never really occurred to me. So I thought it was a pretty cool fact about history and even cooler that it was women um, who were driving these ambulances, especially because in the 20, I haven't been on an ambulance many times in my life, but I've never been driven by a woman personally. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and, the war is happening around them. And while they're seeing all these things and doing all these things, it also um, becomes a beacon of hope for them personally, because the war makes the class system in England collide. So this um, means a brighter future for Audrey, because even though she was well off, there were, you know, her, her future possibilities were limited what she could do, what, you know, what was expected of her. And now she's got all these possibilities and Eve, her possibilities were not so much limited, but required to stay in one, I guess, in one box. And now she has um, hope for a future with Audrey's brother, who she is in love with. And the class system would not have allowed them to have a nice life together. 
But um, faced, facing devastating loss for both of them, they have to make really, really tough and sometimes not great decisions until the last bomb falls. And so, you know, we really have to read the whole book to find out why one friend is impersonating the other friend and how they got to this point. But it is, I, I really enjoyed it because not only was it one of the most challenging eras of history, but I personally didn't hear much about England uh, when it comes to World War II and, and what more, you know, apart from, okay, they came into camps and rescued people in 1944, 45, we've all heard that, but I didn't know any more. You know, I didn't know what was happening earlier. So it was very interesting to get this story from this perspective and, you know, just to see what, what war does to people, to relationships. And like um, Amber said, it is not, it is definitely not kind for anybody, regardless of what you think about it. So this is If I Were You by Lynn Austin. And I highly, highly recommend it. I'm looking forward to reading more of this author's novels. She has a really good uh, Civil War trilogy. Oh, really? That I've read. Oh, yeah. I love Civil War. Like a Refiner's Fire or something it's called. I read it a long time ago. So I thought she was a like inspirational author. So did is I. That she is. Not accurate? No, mm -hmm. that's accurate. No, I've, well, I've seen historical. Well, this is the only work I've read, so I don't know. So that brings tonight's episode to a close. Thank you to Stacy, Amber, and Natalia for coming up with some really fantastic World War books. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for editing these episodes so well. And of course, we want to thank each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about all these fantastic books. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.